there and have a special program. Uh, we are working through a, a series, an overview of biblical uh, prophecy on Sunday nights. And uh, we have started at the beginning of the Bible and kind of worked our way through. We uh, certainly could not cover uh, the over, uh, one author said 400, another author said 600 prophecies concerning the life and ministry uh, of Jesus Christ. And so we just uh, did an overview last week of how some of those prophecies were very plain when Herod, who was not a believer in God, asked the Jewish religious leaders who were not believers in God, uh, where the Messiah was to be born, they were able to look up that reference immediately and tell Herod where he was going to be born. And yet, there were other passages where they were prophecies. The Bible says they were prophecies, but without the guidance of Scripture, we would not know. Uh, the story of how Herod slaughtered the, uh, the babies at Bethlehem, after the wise men left and did not uh, uh, go back and report to him, the prophecy was fulfilled in the book of Jeremiah. But I, I would challenge anybody, I, and I have before, I, I met one guy, he said, I, I could have told, and I'm sitting there going, you liar. Uh, there is no way you could read that passage. It was talking about the return of Israel from captivity and understand that it was talking about Herod's wicked deed when Jesus was about two years old as they were in Egypt. But God wanted us to understand that some prophecy is hidden to our eyes and he will make plain what we need to know and what we do not need to know. Um, uh, this is one of the great rules that needs to be kept as we study prophecy in the Scripture, not everything is meant for you to understand. And we have great errors. Uh, uh, Jesus said, No man knoweth the day nor the hour of his return. Uh, Mr. Camping, I think, wrote at least three books on the subject. All of them were wrong because he was violating a clear passage of Scripture. And by the way, he's not the only one that did that. Uh, uh, it's, I believe it was, uh, well, many, many, many people have done that. What we need to do is stay within the boundaries of Scripture. And so, now tonight, what we're going to do, uh, I'm not sure how far we will get through this tonight, but we're just going to Move again in a more summary fashion. Why don't we just start in John chapter 14, if we could. John chapter 14, this was the night Jesus was betrayed. And uh, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So, in John chapter 14, Jesus has just finished telling Peter that before uh, the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me thrice. He, he's told the disciples that they're all going to abandon him. And then come these words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and take you to where I am so that we can be together with Christ. This is one of the most precious promises in the whole New Testament. This is the promise of Christ's return. Now, I do want to challenge you that there is a great deal of conflicting uh, I guess the best word would be babble uh, on the internet and books have been written uh, when Jesus is coming back and they confuse uh, the return of Jesus for his saints with the return of Jesus for his kingdom. And this is a very easy thing to confuse the Jewish people. When Jesus came from into Bethlehem's manger so that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, that he, as 100% man, 100% God, could be the sinless Lamb of God to pay the price for our sins, they confused that with Jesus coming for the kingdom. That's why the disciples, even as Jesus was on his way to Gethsemane, when is the kingdom coming? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And we have churches uh, that believe that it's, or I shouldn't say, well, there have been churches and other religions uh, who believe it's their job to set up the kingdom of God on earth. That's what this jihad is all about. If you really want to know what it's about, they believe that they must conquer and subjugate the enslaved, would be the proper word, study Islamic history, the entire world, so that their Messiah, their Imam, can come and rule the world. Now, I will tell you this. Jesus has never told his followers to enslave anyone. Jesus' plea was, whosoever will. I want you to understand, it's not the same Jesus. Jesus himself said there'd be many, many false Christs. Jesus here says, I've left you, I'm leaving you, which he would. He said, I'm coming back. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 records the events 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about 10 days before the Feast of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter 2. And uh, here we have uh, the disciples and Jesus is speaking to them. In verse 5 he says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, 
Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Here we go, kingdom again. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him, out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So here we have the promise, the prophecy of John chapter 14, reiterated by Jesus Christ again. The last words he spoke as he ascended, the angels then came and reminded the disciples, hey, he is coming back, just like he said. He arose, like he said. He's coming back, like he said. Now, I want us to look at two more passages here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15. And it says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. One more passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Just keep heading to the back of your Bible. We got to Ephesians. Keep going. If you're in Timothy, head back toward the front of your Bible just a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll just read 13 uh, and the following verses. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, what... What I hope you can see without having all these passages printed out before you, that there is absolutely no conflict between these passages that we have looked at. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven, I'm coming back for you. The angels told the disciples as they stood on 
the Mount of Olives outside the city of Jerusalem in like manner. Jesus ascended up into heaven right before them. This was a private event, not a public event. Only the disciples were there. And it says that he's going to come back the same way. Here in 1 Corinthians, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump shall sound, and we're going to be changed. This corruptible, this mortal flesh is going to become immortal. It's, it's going to become sin. Carnal flesh is going to become sinless. He is going to change us. He's going to give us a glorified body. And then lastly, we looked at 1 Thessalonians, and, and it tells us that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Now, these are four of the classic passages that we go to to describe the next prophetic event in God's calendar. It is called the rapture of the church. Jesus said, I am going, I'm coming back. You see, there are also some other passages here. I want you to turn with me to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, if you would. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah is the one we want. Just before the Italian prophet Malachi. No, that's sorry. Bad joke. Um, Zechariah chapter 14. And we're just going to read a few verses here. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth to fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Ezel. Yea, ye shall flee like ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come with all the saints with thee. Now, obviously, this is talking about Jesus' coming. He, he is going to fight uh, the armies of all the nations that are gathered together against Jerusalem. He's going to stand on the foot of the Mount of Olives and the mountain is going to split in two and there's going to be a great battle. And it says he is coming with all of his saints. Now, how many of you see the difference between the two events we just described? Go like this or... If you don't, say no. We'll start over again. Uh, I don't think anybody wants that. But uh, the simple truth is, this one says he's going to stand on the foot of the Mount of Olives. If we read in Revelation chapter 19, it says, Every eye shall behold him. It's simply two different events. Jesus is coming to fight the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation period. That's what this passage is talking about. That's what 
uh, Revelation chapter 19, when he comes on the horse and the armies of heaven uh, are after him. But before that, we have the rapture of the church. That event, we do not know when it was going to happen. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, we which are alive and remain. Now, we includes me. Amen? We are in this service tonight. And Paul says, I plan on being alive when Jesus comes back. Now, is Paul still alive? Uh, No, he died in about 68 A.D. at the hands of the ill-famed Nero, uh, if we understand our history correctly. And if he didn't die at the hands of Nero, it was some other uh, Roman Caesar. But the simple truth is Paul is long dead. But he believed that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. If you'll study history, uh, there's an awful lot of Crazy people in history. Would you agree with me on that? And if you have any questions, just look around today. There's a lot of crazy people around today. Uh, They seem to love politics for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, that just seems to be the magnet that holds them together. And and, uh, history tells us that the Caesars and the Tsars and the uh, ruling families of uh, Europe, and they were all nuts. Uh, So... What do we do? Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 1, and here's what Jesus said. Stop worrying about when the kingdom's coming and be witnesses to me. You see, that's why we had a missions conference last week. Amen? And that's why we're praying and asking you to pray about what you would do for the cause of missions for this coming year. Ask God to give you an amount so that uh, that we can plan a budget and put things together so that we could see if we might be able to, once again, add some more families to our missionary support. And uh, that is one of the main items of business of our church. Uh, we have uh, done a, a, a great, great work for missions, and we want to keep that up. So what we have here is Jesus is returning to take his church. Then the Bible says that the next event after that will be the tribulation period. That is a literal seven-year period. It's talked about in the book of Daniel. Uh, It says that there are 70 weeks determined on the nation of Israel. And in the uh, early 1900s, uh, a fellow in England and... uh, Sir Robert Anderson went through all of the ancient calendars and did the math and found out from the edict, which is what the Bible says. Let's just turn there to Romans, I mean, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And verse 24, it says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of the prophecy and anoint the most holy. Now that's 
um, amazing verse right there. It says there are 70 weeks. Now, no, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. It says, The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So, we have this 69 prophetic weeks. Now, each week is a year. And Robert Anderson went through and added up the days. The, the, the decree of Cyrus to rebuild the city of Jerusalem is a, a date that is recorded and can be verified in the calendars. And the day that Jesus rode the donkey through the eastern gate on the city of Jerusalem is a day that can be verified. And it works out to be perfectly whatever 69 times 7 times 360 days. It is absolutely accurate. And uh, that was done, like I said, nearly 100 years ago uh, by an Englishman who was investigating the things of the Bible it says, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Jesus was crucified. Just days after he rode the donkey through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. But he didn't die for himself. But it says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. In 70 A.D., the Roman legions came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. From then until 1948, uh, this, and actually several wars later, uh, the city of Jerusalem was still in the hands of the Gentiles. Now it is the capital of Israel. And... Uh, one of the first things our president did was move the uh, embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was a law passed by Congress under the first George Bush. And not one president had enough guts to get it done until this president. I kind of like him for that. I mean, he is recognizing what the Bible says. And who would have ever expected that from Donald Trump? But he is not a foolish man, as they would uh, have him uh, portrayed today. So, we have the city of Jerusalem back in Jewish hands, but that's not the fulfillment. Here it is. Look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant. This is the prince of the people that shall come. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week... He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, the wording there may be a little difficult, but it says there's this last week. It is going to start when the prince of the people that shall come 
some type of revived Roman Empire is going to come. They're going to bring peace in Israel. Every person in the world has tried to bring peace into Israel. Uh, The Arab thinks it's by murdering all the Jews. Well, uh, the Bible says that's not going to happen. The Antichrist is going to make peace. And that is the trigger that starts the clock ticking on that seven-year tribulation. In the middle of that tribulation period, he is going to pass over. He is going to defile the temple that will be rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem. And he will sit in the most holy place claiming to be God. You see, most people uh, try to treat the Antichrist as some great evil person. And he is the most evil person in the Bible. But what makes him evil is not, uh, he will do great evil things, but his greatest evil will to be blaspheme the testimony of Jesus Christ and convince an unsaved world that he is Jesus and that he should be worshipped as God. And that is when all of these things in the book of Revelation, you have the seven seals, the seventh seal opens seven trumpets. The, seven trump- the seventh trumpet opens seven vials. And as God pours out his entire judgment, by the time that seventh vial is poured out, there's nothing left on earth. The armies of the east are gathered. They have come across. And uh, this is one of the places where India figures into prophecy. I've often had people ask, where is America in prophecy? I can't find it. Uh, There there is no clear uh, place for America in prophecy. And that's somewhat of a terrifying thought. Because we do not know what, what is going to happen. But I will tell you this. You better be careful that you don't find your way, yourself standing on the wrong side of God's prophecies. They will be fulfilled. Just like they were fulfilled the first time. These horrible events in this seven years. The Bible tells us that somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is going to be uh, wiped out in that seven-year period with all of the great wars and plagues and Terrible things that are going to happen. But then the battle of Armageddon. And let's go to Revelation chapter 20. And verse 1. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loose for a little season." And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, 
And for the word of God, in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, you can pick up theology books that say, there is no such thing as the thousand year rule and reign of Christ. It is a figurative passage, and da, 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 da. I'll just take what the Bible says. You see, prophecies were meant to be fulfilled as they are written. When God says something is going to happen, it happens the way God said it was going to happen. And so we have the return of Jesus for his church, the meeting in the air, the seven-year tribulation, the thousand-year rule and reign, And as we look here, let's just pick this up here. In verse 5, it says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The first resurrection starts when Jesus returns for his saints and continues until the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Because we'll have that seven-year period where many uh, millions of people will die for the cause of Christ. They will be resurrected. All of the saved people from all ages will be gathered there in the kingdom. You read about the new Jerusalem, and we don't have time to talk about all of that tonight, but that is God's city, and it is the bride of Christ. We read in our Bible, The Old Testament saints will be there, the church will be there, and the tribulation saints will be there. You know who else will be there? Those living human beings that put their faith and trust during the thousand-year reign of Christ will be allowed entrance into that new Jerusalem. That's where the pearly gates are. That's where the golden streets are. It's not in heaven. That's the new Jerusalem. At the end of that time... Then we have another whole set of prophecies talking about the second judgment. Uh, start with me in verse, uh, um, where are we here? Uh, sorry, uh, verse 11 of chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, Jesus, as he was explaining the last things before his ascension, 
he says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, we have all kinds of erroneous and wild definitions of baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is simply the work the Holy Spirit does at the moment of salvation. That's all it is. It is something that every believer has had since Acts chapter 2. You remember what Jesus did uh, the first night he saw the disciples after their resurrection? He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. How many of you remember what happened to King Saul when he disobeyed God? God took his Holy Spirit away, but Saul didn't lose his salvation. But God made a promise to New Testament believers in the finished work of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit would be given to us at the moment of salvation and never taken away. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is eternal life. You see, the baptism of fire is the one that we just read about in Acts chapter 20. That's why it's called the lake of fire. You will receive either one of two baptisms. You either be baptized with the Holy Ghost unto eternal life, or baptized with fire unto eternal death. This is what the Bible teaches, and it fits with the prophecy. There is no contradiction here whatsoever. If you try to make the baptism of the Holy Spirit anything else, you are contradicting clear and open scriptures. That's why we reject, as a church, this, the modern charismatic movement, because it does not rightly define the word of truth. We do not reprove things that God has already proven in His Word. It is our job to believe and understand. And one of these days, these events are going to happen. That's what the prophecies say. And we have people, uh, I remember as a little child, everybody running around. The year was 1988. Do you know why 1988 was... Uh, such an important year because the fig tree budded in 1948 when Israel moved into its land and, and uh, this generation, which is 40 years, shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Uh, I want to challenge you that is not a correct understanding of Scripture because we're all still here. And... Uh, The tribulation period didn't begin. None of those events that have happened yet. We we cannot find any uh, people compare. uh, I remember I have a friend that pastors in Seattle and he said, I said, yeah, I remember that when it rained 40 days and 40 nights in Seattle. He said, brother, it didn't rain 40 days. It rained 100 days straight every day. And I said, miracle of miracles, you're still here. And we had a good laugh. Uh, You see, you get into a lot of trouble when you try to make things fit in there. Instead of trying to take this and understand what's happening out there. You start here. It's 
some of the things that people have said over the years is downright hilarious. And people uh, talk about uh, the end times and all of these things. Before World War I, the standard belief, Protestant and Catholic alike, was that the church would get so good and bring the world to a wonderful point that Jesus would just have to come back and take over the world because it was such a wonderful place. Wow. How, how foolish is that? Uh, you know what the Bible says? It says men shall wax worse and worse. Uh, that is tomorrow's newspaper now, isn't it? You see, if we follow the Word of God, we'll be safe. We can know just the passages that we read, and people have, uh, I, I have dealt with many people who don't believe these things, and they'll just, uh, that's your interpretation. Well, how do you interpret in like manner he's going to come again? The meeting in the air, how do you interpret that? I tell you, there's only one way without changing the meanings of the words. Jesus is coming back for his church, just like he said. He told the church at Philadelphia that he was going to protect them from the hour of tribulation that was going to come to try all men. I believe in a pre-tribulational, premillennial rapture of the church. And that after the tribulation is over, Jesus is going to come at that end point, which is the battle of Armageddon, and the armies of heaven are going to be with him. That's you and me. But I love Jesus' army. And anybody else's army, uh, we just had Veterans Day and uh, uh, saw the parade there in Manhattan. I'll tell you one of the things that you see uh, is they had one of the nursing homes, I think it was in New Jersey, had a bunch of veterans from Vietnam and they were all in wheelchairs with little... And man, I just... I clap louder for them than anybody else because they gave so much. And now they're old and infirm and, and many of them can't even care for themselves. Uh, they, they need to be reminded that we honor their sacrifice. Amen. But you know what? In Jesus' army, there are no casualties. Because he's the only one doing any of the fighting. I just like that. It is safe to be in Jesus' army. In fact, there's no safer place to be. And please do not be one of these Christians who tries to take the sword of the Spirit and attack the forces of the devil. You're going to cut yourself. Uh, You're not going to do well. That's not how God wants us to stand. I've met people and they said, well, my, my job is to, is to protect the Bible from those who would detract against it. Okay, well, I want you to stop and think about it. If you're protecting the Bible, then you're standing in front of the Bible. And where is the devil? In front of you. Uh, that's not a smart place to be, my friend. But if I'm standing behind the Bible, guess what? The Bible's protecting me. You see, that's what Eve tried to do in the Garden of Eden. She tried to protect God's Word, and she sinned. So did Adam. And so did you. And so did I. So instead of trying to protect God's Word, how about we let it protect us? Amen? See, that's what church is about. 
I hope that's why you're here tonight. It's so that we can stand behind God's Word and God's prophecies. Some of them are horrific, far beyond anything we can imagine. One of those vials is poured out, and the Bible tells us that three demons who have been kept captive in the bed of the Euphrates River are going to be released, and they are going to go out to the kings of the east and assemble an army of 200 million soldiers. You know, people used to laugh about that. Say, there are 200 million soldiers in the whole world. Uh... 1964, the year I was born actually, China advertised that their home guard, their national guard, numbered 200 million soldiers. And that doesn't count the 1.37 billion that uh, Brother Thomas told us about in India. Uh, Those numbers aren't hard to imagine anymore, are they? The Bible tells us about the two witnesses who will lay in the streets of Jerusalem and all the world will see them. Do you realize that before 1950, when television actually started getting into homes, that no one could see any way that that prophecy could be fulfilled? Now today, I don't have one. I just I have a tick-tick watch. Uh, but if you have one of those fancy watches, you can check news headlines on your watch. It's better than Dick Tracy, uh, dating myself again. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, we can take prophecy literally and in order as the Bible says. And we can be prepared. How do we be prepared? Acts 1.8, by being the witness. That's what Jesus told us to do. To be about our Father's business. Missions is his business. Amen? And so, as we're studying through prophecy, it is amazing to me that I am able to spend the most part on the application talking about our current event, which is a missions conference. Amen? Because prophecy is not meant to give you knowledge. It's meant to challenge you to be more obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. and we Thank you that we can read and study your word. We're thankful for the things that have yet to happen that your word tells us about. And Lord, we're thankful that we can trust your word, that you would protect us from these most horrible things. If we will simply just trust in you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, that you've given us duty to do to take the gospel into all the world. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful in that. And Lord, we just take a moment here of silence and and, uh, ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in each heart and life here. And we'll open the altar if you need to come and pray just for a moment, and then we'll get into our regular prayer time.